right, this is the first song I made. This was after three weeks of producing. This is an exclusive release. Yeah, it's already out, but... Uh, you hear it? I think it's a cool intro. That's sick. Jameson, welcome to the Unexpected Experts Podcast, a show where we dive into the vast spectrum of human knowledge and the ways that our experiences make us experts in unexpected ways. Thanks so much for listening. All right, all right. Well, this week is obviously a little bit different. I've got some music here from my buddy Gabe, who I've got on the show this week. Um, Gabe is a local Calgarian. He's born and raised here. And uh, the last few months, he's been working on some music production. So the entire episode, all the music for this week will be by Gabe. It's all music that he's put together, all music that he's produced himself and uh, really wanted to feature that this week. So he's allowed me to use the tracks. And uh, I hope you guys all enjoy this week's episode with my buddy Gabe. All right, welcome to the podcast, everybody. Uh, this week, I've got my buddy Gabe, or Gabriel. Um, Gabriel is a born and raised Calgarian. He's worked in tons of jobs. Um, actually, what are some of the jobs that you've worked at, Gabe? Oh, man, I've been around the whole city, basically. Um, when I first started, typical high school job, you know, work at a retail, go work at the malls. Cool. Did that for a couple of years, went to college. Um, I actually graduated from addictions counseling, so I was no a kidding. counselor for kids for two and a half years. Wow. At uh, Hope Mission. Yeah. Dude, that's legit. Yeah. So I did that, um, and then I was looking for a career change because I got burnt out pretty quick just being a young kid trying to help younger kids. Yeah. <laughs> and I got into sales, so I was a car salesman, the worst of the worst, <laughs> for three <laughs> years. Did you have to wear like the super tacky suits with the elbow pads I that did. were like three sizes too big? Yep, yeah, all the time, man. <laughs> that was, uh, I mean, I, I I got into the sales industry and found out that I liked working for commissions, working for my money. Yeah. And from there, I transitioned into property management and uh, apartment rentals. Cool. So that's what I'm doing currently. Sweet. Yeah. Um, so Gabe has done all kinds of stuff and... Um, he's also been known to drive some pretty sweet cars, talking about cars. What are you awesome. driving right now? Uh, I actually just picked up a Lexus LS430 this morning. Um, just this morning? Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, so I have that, and then I have a cool, sporty little BMW at home as well. Nice. Yeah. Um, so Gabe also loves his family and is... Where Where do you lie in the in the mix with all your siblings? I am the oldest child of three. Dude, yeah, um, we're both the oldest kids. Yeah, dude, that's sweet. We have a lot in common. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have uh, two younger sisters. Uh, there's a 13 year old gap between me and the youngest, and an okay. eight year old gap. So, I uh, I think they helped a lot with growing up responsible. Because yeah. if it wasn't for them, I'd be in a different spot for sure. <laughs> yeah. Man, I'd love to talk about that. Absolutely, yeah. man. Um, so yeah, the oldest of three. Um, Gabe's also a drummer. Dabbles in some other instruments, you know, a little bit of guitar, a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And mm-hmm. 
Um, currently, yeah, working for property management. And uh, and in these last few months, he's also started producing music under the name G. Stillo. That's me. So, G. Stillo on the beat. <laughs> Thanks, man. Um, yeah, man. So welcome to the podcast. Welcome to Unexpected Experts. Well, thank you for having me. This yeah. is exciting. <laughs> Excited to have you, bro. Um, so maybe just a little bit, like, how did how did we meet? Me and J-Mo met at church. Um, if anything, we were just homies first. We clicked right from the beginning, and then yeah. we started playing on the worship team together and uh, came up with their signature pocket. <laughs> yeah, so, so Gabe plays the drums, and then I play the bass guitar, so that's, like... We are we're the rhythm section, baby. We're tight, and we always yeah. we always had a solid groove. We were always in the pocket. Yeah, always and, in that uh, pocket. Playing out over how long do we play together? For two years? About two years, two and yeah. a half years. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, we built our relationship that way. Yeah. I mean, the music is natural to us. I think we kind of just glued because yeah. we had that. But then the relationship after that was even cooler because now we're here. <laughs> yeah, man. Time flies. I'd love to talk about you growing up in Calgary, you know, you're with your friends and your parents, your siblings, community, friends, school, like all of that. Sweet, Maybe some, some background on, on Gabe. I got a cool story to tell. And <laughs> man, hit us with it. Yeah. So, I mean, born in, like Jamo said, I was born at, uh, in Calgary at the Peter Lougheed Hospital in the Northeast. So I was born into the Northeast. <laughs> and <Yeah. laughs> if you guys live in Calgary, you guys already know the rep it has. So growing up, uh, I did see my fair share of how would I how would I word it <laughs> crime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, growing up, I mean, it was it's in a, it was in a rougher neighborhood. Um, I remember our first house was in a community called Martindale, um, and the first thing I remember knowing that helped me realize we were living in a rough area was the attacks on my mom when she was at home alone. Mm. Uh, we would have kids basically vandalize our house. She were the only Asian uh, people on the block. Really? At that time, yeah. Wow. <laughs> so little things like that. I mean, I was a kid, right? So I didn't think much of it. Um, we moved out of that neighborhood and moved into a new house um, in another community. And I would say I had a pretty normal childhood. I mean, other than these little things happening. <laughs> sure. Uh, come junior high is when you get introduced to all the stuff that really happens in the Northeast. So we have that rep, you know, there's gangs here and this, this, that. I mean, it's not as crazy as I would say the States or sure. anything, but it was definitely real. So, um, a little backstory on me. I was born and raised in the church. I started drumming when I was six. Um, that's kind of what kept me, my head up high and, how, how would I word that? That's what kept... How would you say that? <laughs> kept you honest? Or? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. So, yeah. The church is what gave me that foundation of how to think. <laughs> mm, or, like, keep you out of trouble. Exactly. Keep yeah. me out of trouble in, in simpler yeah. terms. Comparatively, right? <laughs> yeah. But, again, as a kid, you, you get into it. Um, there's, you get introduced in grade seven, people are already doing drugs, drinking, yeah. sex, this, that. So that was very normal for me growing up. Um, but because I grew up in the church, I try to stay away from it. Um, but that's just the reality you go up with. Yeah. <laughs> um, come high school, um, still drumming, you know, going to church every day, but that's when I really started getting deep in. 
you know, hanging with the wrong crowds, doing mm-hmm. all these hood rat things. Sure. <laughs> um, and just kind of hanging with the wrong people. And that's what shaped who I was becoming, basically. Um, as J-Mo said in the beginning, um, I do have two younger siblings. Um, when I was going through the stuff I was doing, I won't get too, into too much detail on that, yeah. but let's just say I got into a lot of trouble. Um, it was really them that grounded me and realized, you know, how important it is to set that example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's why I give a lot of credit to my baby sisters. They didn't do anything at the time, but they they helped me grow up to be responsible and to be that good role model for them. So that, I mean, because of that, you know, I went to college, did the, the counseling, you know, I, I worked, this, this, or that. Yeah. Um, all of high school, I was just basically out on the streets doing, you know, whatever <laughs> getting into trouble getting into trouble and, sure. and, and i mean when you're a young kid you think it's fun because you know you have all the money and you got these cool cars this this and that but i've seen where that road goes i mean i have countless friends that have passed away or are in jail and yeah i don't want that that lifestyle for my younger sisters yeah yeah so i mean just off that experience alone um i basically got my stuff together <laughs> for them yeah, that's powerful. Like the the impact that family can just have on you. Yeah, even they're... even if you're not like, even if they're not actively participating in that, like mm-hmm. just having them present can totally and change the I dynamic needed. and can yep. totally affect the way that you live your life too. Yeah. yeah, and that's the coolest thing. I mean, now like the, I understood the importance of family. I was very fortunate mm-hmm. to have my mom and dad there growing up. Yeah. Um, a lot of the guys I was hanging out with didn't have that father figure. So, sure. I mean, that's why they would come over all the time. My dad would be that father figure for them. But then when we go on the streets, it was a different story. Sure. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess that's the blessing I had, just having sisters. <laughs> that's what that was enough to inspire me, you know, go get my act together. Stop this. Stop doing that. Mm-hmm. Go get work. Go to school, you know. Um, and the cool thing, too, I mean... While all of this was happening, I was always into music, um, hip hop, metal. <laughs> I was a big metalhead growing yeah. up. Oh, That's yeah. how we, I started we've with talked drums. about metal before, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you know, I, I I did inspire my siblings because both of them are musical as well. Oh, cool. Yeah, my um, my middle sister Lynette, she's a crazy singer, beautiful voice. She can play no guitar, kidding. piano, this that. And my youngest sister, like when I was in high school, she was probably five or six years old already making singing covers wow. of Adele, stuff like is, that. Is that an inspiration you feel like you had on them? I think from just being in music, like uh, drumming at church, they would come every Sunday, mm-hmm. watch their big brother play, and I don't know, I guess they had that ear as well, and they were doing the same thing. So, That's I mean, cool. And I literally just realized that just now, yeah. since everything's <laughs> on the fly. So Yeah. <laughs> Man, that's that's so cool. Yeah. My brothers and I kind of the same thing. Like we all grew up in the church and we all started mm-hmm. singing in choir in high school. And then all four of us like all went through choir in high school and we've all been singers and mom and dad are all singers. So it, it's kind of cool how that, yeah. how that musical thread can really stay in a family oh, like that. Oh, it's awesome, right? man. And I mean, yeah. I've seen it go both ways. I've seen it for sure. the good side. Um, and then I've seen the bad side of it. Yeah. Uh, especially in hip hop or rap, you know, it's basically just people telling their pain and story about what really has happened in their yeah. lives. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm very fortunate that I'm not going through that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
talking about family a little bit too like you've got your whole left arm done up in ink I with, do with some family stuff on there what's what's all um, what's, so what's all the significance of those significance of that I mean first of all I was super young I had the money I thought it would be really cool just yeah. to get the tattoo <laughs> but I got it all custom made it was symbols of my family cool um Wow, this is cool that I get to talk about this on a podcast. Buddy, of course. <laughs> this is wicked. Yeah. You know what? Uh, we, should, we should grab a, a picture of it or something. Or you could... Didn't you have a picture on your Instagram of, of the whole sleeve? I do, Because yeah. maybe we could share that yeah, yeah, on Instagram. I, That'd be I'll, sweet. I'll send you that photo. Yeah. Um, big, big thing in my life, I think probably my biggest value other than God is my family. <laughs> I mean... They're the ones that show me love when I didn't deserve it, right? Mm. And I just want to continue that example with my family and just keep going, I guess. Yeah. Um, but every single tattoo I have on that sleeve is my family members, my mom, my dad, my two younger sisters. Um, my dad is symbolized as a koi fish. And in Japanese um, folklore, usually people get... Uh, a koi fish tattooed swimming upstream and it turns into a dragon. It's just this whole cool story. Oh, cool. My koi fish is going downwards. And the reason I did that is my dad is the most humblest guy I know in my whole life. He doesn't care about, you know, turning into this big dragon and being wealthy. All he cares about is family. And that is what I want to base my life on as well because he is the best dad ever. That's cool. (laughs) Yeah. My mom, Tiger... Everybody knows mothers Mothers are fierce, scary, oh, yeah. <laughs> but they love their kids. Yeah. So that's what I got for her. And my two sisters are symbolized through two peonies, which are Japanese flowers. Cool. I have one in my inner bicep for my middle sister. I got it there because it was the most painful part of your arm. And she's the biggest pain in my butt. <laughs> I told her this, that's so awesome. she's going to hear this. <laughs> that's awesome. And then my, my, my youngest sister on my the back of my forearm here. Yeah. Um, it's all tied in. It's beautiful art. I mean, that's the main reason for it. Yeah. I think it looks awesome. Oh, it's a gorgeous piece, man. Thank like, you. Gorgeous. Yeah. And then I extended it to my chest. Um, actually, I have a dragon on my over my right here on my chest. Um, that one is for my cousin, uh, Kenzie, who passed away due to, due to cancer. Right. And that was just a few years ago, right? Yeah. Very yeah. recent. Uh, she was battling that for, oh, man, five, six years. Wow. I was in the hospital with her when she passed away when we were all holding her hand and to see how fragile life is and how fast it can be taken away right before your eyes, mm-hmm. life changing. You'll never you'll never take life for granted. So that's why I got that piece for her and I have a K there for her name. Yeah. And then uh I have a samurai on the other side here. Cool. That's to represent me. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Just, you're, uh, you're just the, a straight badass, that's it. I try. That's all it is. <laughs> but it's just the things I've been through. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a reminder of the things I've been through in life and my values. I mean, obviously, they're tattoos. People look at it as, oh, this guy's drug dealing or yeah, he's, yeah. A, he's a badass. He does this or that. That's completely false. It's art and it's a reminder of my life and I guess the blessings I've gone through. Yeah. Well, it kind of tells a family or the, the story of your family and the story of who you are and where you've come from. Exactly. And, you know, That's yeah. why I got it done. Yeah. That's beautiful. And there's more to come. <laughs> beautiful. Can't wait to see it, man. Yeah. Awesome. What, what are you thinking for the next one? Uh, my full right arm and then my back. And Solid. Then, oh, yeah. I do have two. Um, I have um, two flowers on both of my legs to represent my grandparents. Cool. Cool stuff like oh, and I just got my hand tattooed, Blanco. 
That's from my grandma. <laughs> That's nice. her last name. <laughs> yeah. Um, man, I'd love to, I'd love to hear like maybe your perception of just the city, like growing up in the Northeast. Um, yeah. What, you know, how did you view your part of the city in relation to the rest of it? Cause maybe I'll, maybe I'll just rewind a little bit. Like yeah, yeah. me growing up in the Northwest, like I grew up just North of Nose Hill and my parents still live there and that's, that's my childhood home, right? Yeah. Is, is the Northwest and I know the Northwest really well, but then the perception that I had of the rest of the city was that like the Northeast was crazy town mm-hmm. and downtown was just full of yeah. rich people and, you know, other parts of the city that I wasn't as familiar with just seemed super, super far away and super foreign. Yeah. And it's weird. Like Calgary's sort of a weird city like that, right? It feels like four cities in one four city. Four quadrants, yeah. With like the downtown core and mm-hmm. that's... It's like the middle bit between everything, but it feels like four distinct areas. So like, yeah. what was your perception of the rest of the city growing up in the Northeast? Mm-hmm. Well, we all, I don't know. We just always had that rep of being the rougher part of town. It was either there or Forest Lawn. Sure. Yeah. Anything on the east side really yeah. was considered rough. Um, that's, that's the harder thing because when most people talk about the Northeast, it's online. You know, they're just saying, oh, it's hood, this, this, that. But growing up in it, I mean, basically my whole life, I'm still in the Northeast. Yeah, yeah, technically, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, I've seen my fair share. I mean, I wouldn't, like, uh, growing up when I was in high school, I wouldn't be able to walk around at night because I got mugged a couple times, so oh. things like that. But, I mean, you can say that in any quadrant because it, it can happen anywhere, right? Sure. Yeah. We just have that rep for it happens more often there. So, I mean... If anything, we should be breaking that stigma of the Northeast is the hood. It's it's really not. It's yeah. it's immigrant families um, just trying to make a living. And, I, I mean, obviously, the crime is there, but that's the choice of the kids of these immigrant families or right. whoever, really. there's That happens in the Northwest, Southwest, Southeast as well. Yeah. Right? I think it's just... I guess it would be a stigma. Because <laughs> yeah. that's for, like, the the whole population of colored people is basically right. So yeah, I definitely grew up in a really white neighborhood. Yeah. Like for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, that could be part of it, but I know people in all quadrants that would qualify as the Northeast kid, you know? Sure. So I can't bash it. What do you think was like a really beautiful thing about growing up in the Northeast? Oh, to like flip the script a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. The diversity. I mean, mm. I grew up with pretty much every culture. It's a melting pot of cultures in the Northeast, which is beautiful. Yeah. You know, you get introduced to other people's cultures, their food. And if anything, I think it expands <laughs> expands your thinking of, of how great and multicultural Calgary is as a whole. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I made a lot of friends just through people's food. It's awesome. <laughs> That's so cool. Cool things like that, you know, and, you know, I've had relationships built that way. Going to a restaurant, making friends with the shop owner, Um, going to a mechanic store and it's run by East Indians. And then you have that relationship. You're going to them to every month now. So I think that's the huge benefit is just being surrounded by all these cultures, but knowing we're all Calgarian. It's awesome. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And it, it's kind of like Global Fest. I, I like that Global Fest always happens in the Northeast. Yeah. Or like with all the big fireworks displays and all the little food trucks and all that. It's so cool. Yeah. I think 
more than any other area of the city, like the Northeast is perfect for doing something like Global Fest and celebrating that diversity that mm-hmm. Calgary really is. Yeah, you know? and that's really what it comes down to. Yeah. We just painted the Northeast, and I don't know how that started, but yeah, it's time to break that stigma. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I couldn't yeah. agree more. Yeah, actually, I was thinking about, like, yeah, what stigmas and maybe stereotypes have, have you had to face, like, being an Asian guy? In Calgary. Oh, man. In the Northeast. Majority of crime back in the day in early 2000s when that whole big gang war was going, it was all Asians. That right. Was, right? So, you know, getting tatted up and driving cool cars, whatever, quote unquote, um, you automatically get painted as a drug, drug dealer. Right. If you have anything flashy, you're automatically painted as a drug dealer. Especially if you're from the Northeast, you're painted as a drug dealer. Yeah. Right? So, I mean... That's just the perception. And then, I mean, I don't blame the common people of doing that because, you know, I've, I've been pulled over a couple of times for doing nothing absolutely wrong mm-hmm. and just had to check my credentials because this happened to me when I was going to college and I had another Lexus and I was driving my sleeve out, windows open. Yeah. They just wanted to see my credentials. No explanation other than that. And obviously Crazy. I cleared it all, right? But it's just... Because of the past, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and statistics, right? Yeah. And that's, you know, like, even for me, like, growing up in a, you know, really in a white neighborhood, I've never been pulled over like that to ha- to just have my ID looked at. Like, that's such a foreign concept to yeah. me, right? But <laughs> right. It's yeah. wild, too, like, especially with all the stuff happening this last year with, like, George Floyd and everything and all it's these... Asian hate and yeah, all this. Yeah. Like, it's, it's crazy, but it's so, like, systemic... It feels like it's, mm-hmm. it's just in the fabric of the whole beast, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, if you bring me down to the Southwest driving around doing the same thing, I, I like, I like my, I love my music. I blast it and I have yeah. subwoofers in the car, right? Sure. If I did that down there, I, I guarantee I would be get, getting pulled over. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know about now. I haven't been there in such a long time, but I guess that's what I had to face with growing up. Just having that, um, that automatic opinion once someone sees me. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean... Have those experiences, like, been worse in different parts of the city? Like, is the Northeast a little easier, or is the South a little easier, or... Honestly, like, growing up after, I would say, like, 2012, 2013, we were going all over the city, and it was... It's just just Calgary at that point, Right. right? I mean... Unless you're doing something to provoke a cop for pulling you over, or even if you're not, you just look the way you look and they pull you over, that could happen anywhere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so I mean, that's the beauty of Calgary. It's, there's, I don't think it should be separated. It's just Calgary now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I think too, like the demographics of where we live often affect how we're raised or even the opportunities that we're given. So, yeah. um, Maybe is there a part of your life that you think would have gone differently had you grown up in a different part of town? I think so, actually. You know what? Because growing up where I did, like the schools I went to, that's where all the rough kids would go because we were all pooled in that area. Sure. So, I mean, it's just meeting those people and then, um, I guess, growing up together, you could see the different paths people would take. If I did grow up, say, far southwest... I think it would be a different experience. I'd be sure. a lot whiter. <laughs> 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 no, but in a, not in a bad way. It's just I do have friends that don't have that culture in them. Like, you know, I'm, I'm Filipino, so 
I'm very deep into my heritage. I learned the language and yeah. this, this, and that, and eat the food, whatever. I think it would be a lot different. I mean, but again, it just depends on how my parents would raise me, right? Sure. Um, but I don't know. I guess that would be a choice that I decided to be proud of my heritage rather than try to neglect it. Yeah. And neglect it. <laughs> what's maybe what's one thing growing up in the Northeast that you feel a sense of pride in? Damn, that's a good question. Actually, you know what? It's the amount of friends that I've been able to make just living there. I have friends of every culture and don't see anyone different than each other. It's just we have that. I don't know. We have we have a really strong bond with. I bet I guess pretty much everybody that lives in that area. I mean, obviously there's uh, some rougher parts, um, but there's just this connection between all of us because we all grew up the same way. We all went through the struggle. Right. <laughs> I mean, there's no huge fancy houses, this, this, or that, um, but it's just filled with good people. How would you describe the way that music has like shaped you as a person? Um, maybe is there a specific genre or an artist or a certain album that comes to mind or maybe a live performance that you've been to? Anything that has shaped the way that you see the world that can be traced back to music? Definitely. I mean, as a kid, again, I, I was raised in that church, so all my parents was would play is worship music right <laughs> that's yeah. kind of your first love when you that's grow fair. up right um i mean for me i started drumming in the church when i was six so that's kind of how i got my foundation of music okay. but uh when i started listening listening to it you know not just going to it to play as an obligation i was a metalhead i was that emo weird kid in junior <laughs> high growing up you know, I had the long hair, the bangs, no van, checkered vans, dude. skater clothes. That <laughs> was got, me. I got to see pictures. Oh, dude, <laughs> I will send you some. I'm going to cringe hard, but yeah. that's, I'm proud, man. I, I, went, I was the different kid growing up, you know, sure. when my friends were, like a big thing in the Northeast is break dancing and, right. you know, I guess just dance in general. I wanted to be that musical kid, but not the mainstream kind. I got into emo music first, so like a lot of screamo. Cool. Um, but this is all of this is the foundation to my drumming because that's how I learned. And I was like probably 11, 12 when I started listening to this stuff. Right. Um, a couple years later, it turned into metal, like crazy heavy, heavy metal and a lot of actually Christian metal bands as lay dying. Oh, protest yeah. the hero. Yeah, man. Yeah. Love protest. So, I mean, I mean, not that they're a Christian band, but, I, oh, I but know, I know. they are Canadian. They're Canadian. They're Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I. You know, when you're a young kid listening to this music, your mind you don't you don't realize it now, but your your mind's developing to hear music in that genre. So I was able to play drums. I got into double kicks, you know, doing 200 BPM with my feet. Sick. I was like, "Whoa, dude! I'm only 13. Yeah. <laughs> like, how am I doing this?" Um, and then I actually started a band with uh, TJ and Ace, who also oh used yeah to go. yeah those those were my first music best friends ever and i'm still friends with them to this day i actually just saw tj earlier nice <laughs> yeah um but we we used to do covers like we would turn popular music turn into metal Sick. Um, when i was in grade seven with tj and ace we did a tetris cover and zelda but it was all metal and <laughs> it was awesome. wicked man i think i think august burns red did a cover of like legend of zelda 
probably within the last year. I wouldn't doubt so. it. <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah. So I mean, that was that was like the most exciting thing for me growing up was just being able to jam with these guys. You yeah. know, make music. We didn't have anything crazy to record. We had a, a laptop with a, a plug-in mic. Yeah, that's how we recorded. Every, I still have the recordings too. Um, oh man, good times. That's so cool. Yeah. So I did all of that pretty much all the way at until the end of high school. You know, I'm still playing in in uh, church during this whole time as well. Um, but my real passion was to like make these metal albums. Yeah. Um, we did make a couple of songs, recorded them. They're they're somewhere hidden, far far away, <laughs> buried in, under a tree somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but. When we were in high school, we started, you know, kind of getting a name for ourselves just for the trio, and we would get asked to play at, like, Debus. That's when a Filipino turns 18, and they cool. would throw a huge party. Or, sorry, not 18, 16, and throw, like, this huge party. Yeah. We would do live covers there, play a lot of Oasis, you know, John Mayer. Nice. It's cool, like, mainstream stuff. I mean, we didn't like it, but it was just fun to play and to get noticed by our friends and family. And maybe you could, like, put your own spice on it, too. Exactly, right? yeah. yeah pocket and like me and you <laughs> yeah buddy um yeah so though they were definitely a huge part in my musical journey um i mean in high school i played on the in band as the main drummer which was really cool so i would play all these big events play a grad have it, i had a drum solo in like grade 12 cool. in front of like i don't know seven eight hundred people at the jubilee that Jeez, was insane. No big deal. Yeah, That's dude. Sick. I mean, it was all <laughs> McNally kids where yeah. my high school was, but it was awesome. But still, like, playing playing in that room is pretty cool. I did a, a concert there with a, a chamber choir like years ago when oh, I was wow. in college. Yeah. But it, it was actually Legend of Zelda. What? Yeah, it was, it was crazy. <laughs> um, my voice teacher had, um, he had a connection with the guy that was the director of like this chamber group in, in Calgary and they were... They had mm. X number of seats to fill on the stage and they were short a few. And so they were just trying to call around to fill these seats. And they asked me like two days before the show. Wow. Yeah. What song did you guys do? Oh, dude. It we was, did the forest it was all one. kinds of stuff. It was a full concert of oh, like wow. Legend of Zelda stuff. It was nuts. That's wicked, yeah, dude. <laughs> like playing in that room is the coolest thing. Like it's yeah. so huge. It goes back like a thousand miles. It feels like yeah. when you're on that stage. It's pretty nerve wracking. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, but like playing a drum solo there, like that's yeah, dude, sick. it was really cool. That's massive. It was like a jazz band and like with live, you know, trumpet, trombone, this, cool. this, and that. And then I would, I, I, here's the thing with me when I was drumming, I don't know how to read music. <laughs> I'll, I'll <laughs> say it straight that's up. That's so legit. Um, like, I never, I never learned how to read sheet music. It was just all in my head and my yeah. ears. And I would just replicate and add my own flair. So, I mean, even to this day, I still can't read drums. Yeah. But I know how to play them. Yeah. <laughs> you know that. <laughs> oh, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that was the that was a really cool thing in high school band was telling my music teacher, Miss Moran. I love that lady to death. She really influenced me to pursue the music even further. Um, she, she said it was okay for me not to be able to read music, but as long as I got to play what I had to play, it was yeah. fine. And I love that. <laughs> I love that. Like encouraging the joy of music creation. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Instead so, of being like stuck to the sheet music. And the sheet music's helpful for sure. Yeah. But like. Oh, dude, it's like reading a foreign language for me. Sure. <laughs> yeah. And drum yeah. charts are kind of weird for that too. Yeah. I have no clue. I know how to play the rudiments. <laughs> Beautiful. That's all you need, man. Yeah. Um. After high school, I mean, my main source of drumming was playing at church. 
Okay. Um, played at my parents' church. Played at uh, Tehila First Assembly. Oh, yeah. Played there a couple times and then um, connect to where we met. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Yeah, so I mean... I'm I'm really trying to think of a, a one specific time of how music has really shaped my life, but it wasn't a one time. It's just that continuing journey. It's led me to where I started producing now. Totally. Um, and which which was really cool for me is because, you know, I always especially with like mainstream hip hop and trap and cool stuff like that. Like I always heard it growing up. Like I could hear every sound that was in there you know the guitar the bass the drums whatever and then I guess just translating that into my own and making my own when I first made my first beat complete trash but I was like whoa I heard all of these sounds and I made them so I mean it really just progressed from there and finding my sound um and again I I owe that all to my drumming and just playing with musicians because I'm hearing their parts while I'm jamming and I'm like whoa that like JMO did a crazy bass line. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna add that, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I mean, going from performing to producing, I already had the foundation, and it was wicked. It wasn't hard right. at all to learn how to make the music. Yeah. And now it's just a continuing journey of how to produce because that's a completely different beast yeah. in its own. So what what did that transition look like for you from just performing to now creating music? COVID. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Enough said. <laughs> Enough said. I got yeah. uh, last year, February, I got laid off from my job. Right. So I had a whole month. I mean, they said they were going to take me back, which they did. But I had a whole month and I just got so sick of just playing video games. I mean, everybody plays video games, but sure. I was playing way too much. And I decided to download uh, FL Studio and then actually... No, that's not what happened. I got asked by one of my good friends, Sid, um, to drum on his track. So he sent me these loops and I had nothing to record on. Um, oh, man. Yeah, I just had a, I have a really good computer, like a gaming PC. Yeah, yeah. So I just downloaded uh, this thing called Ableton. Yeah. And then I tried to record the drums. I had an electric kit at home. No clue what I was doing. So I just programmed them in. I was like, whoa, this is cool. Um, he sent me more tracks and I was like, dude, I got to like make these wicked. So that's when I downloaded FL studio, which is another DAW. Yeah. And that's how I learned how to produce. It was just drums first. I would take his, um, his loops, drag them on and then make my own drums. And then I, I don't know, from there, I kind of just learned how to make everything myself, which is, I can't really explain it. It all just happened during quarantine. Did you just, like, mess around with FL Studios? Or was it, like, a YouTube thing? Like, you went uh, down YouTube rabbit at hole? At first, messing around, um, and then YouTube. But right. once YouTube really helped, like, I was able to learn probably within a week. Wow. That's like, cool. Like, just the foundations. And then, man, a month. Actually, three weeks after producing, I produced my first song. It's out right now. It's wicked. Yeah. <laughs> and then a month and a half later, I produced a whole EP that was going to be launching here pretty soon, hopefully. Yeah. That's right. And that was with your buddy, um, oh, what was his name Anthony again? Anthony Almighty. That's the one. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, man. That was a cool little EP. Oh, yeah. I gave you a taste of it. tracks. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> no, it was tasty. Yeah. So we can't wait to drop that project. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's really what led me to producing was quarantine, um, being bored, but having that musical ear. And I really just wanted to pursue my passion. 
because um, you know I've been working for five years now at that point and I didn't really make music that main priority but I know I have the gift of it so I had to do something like whatever yeah. it was I could always drum but you know there's no live performances of right course now. right so you yeah. got to be the band on your own in a way right in a way yeah. yeah and then because of that I've been able to connect with a lot of the lo- local Calgary artists and cool it's awesome man it's just it's a whole culture in itself yeah, that's that's the thing too. Like with with R and B music and like hip hop, like it's that culture that's so inherent in the genre. Yeah, and that's not really something you get in a lot of other genres. Like metal has got its brotherhood, right? But it's oh, it's dude, all just a bunch that of emo dudes. kid with yeah. long hair. It was awesome. Yeah, <laughs> studded belt. <laughs> <laughs> Man, those studded belts. I remember those. Yeah, I had one. I did too. Yeah, it was, it was not a good look. <laughs> oh, oh man, I'll roast myself right now. I even used to wear girl jeans. I'll say that shameless. Yeah. <laughs> I needed the tight jeans. It's that emo look, man. Whatever. You, you gotta do what you gotta do. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't mind talking about like you being a car salesman and like what did that yeah, look man. like? Because that's a world that. I feel like it's super, it it, it can be super seedy and like super sketchy, but also kind of, it's got like a weird prestige to it too. Like probably depending which dealership you're working for, right? Yeah. So I mean, car sales, I was a salesman of cars. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's a cutthroat industry. That's the best way to put it. That's polished up to look all brand new, shiny and cool for the customers. Right. Um. Don't get me wrong, I had great people I was working with, huge influences in my life that I still connect with, um, mainly my managers and some old coworkers, because, you know, it's just a job at the end of the day. Sure. Um, at least that's what I thought, but doing it for three years, I all you care about is trying to find someone, trying to talk to them, build a relationship and sell them a car and get paid for it. Right. So it's, it's, a, it's a very... Um, to be honest, it's like bullshit. Sure. <laughs> it's, you, you wear a suit just to talk slimy sometimes. Right. And I've seen some very slimy car salesmen, you know, right. just to get that commission. Um, I mean, I, I'd had nothing to go to. I, I was not going to go back to addictions counseling, and I didn't want to go back to what I was doing before that. So I needed, like, legit work. So that's yeah. why I did it. Um, I learned a lot, you know... The cool thing with sales, other than, you know, the commissions, is the relationship you get to build with your customers, mm. um, especially in a dealership. Because uh, one cool thing, you know, it was a, it's, a, it's, a, it's not a shady business. Obviously, it's a business. People need cars. Um, someone has to sell it to them. But um, you make a lot of cool relationships with the clients. Like, I have friends that work at Microsoft. Oh, if you need anything, come visit me there, and yeah. vice versa, you know, with me with cars and parts. So... What made me actually stay for the three years was just being able to make all these new friends and then they would introduce me to their friends and so on and so forth. Right. I'm a very uh, people person, so I like having, you know, just knowing different people and then being able to provide a service back. Um, But the industry in itself, you don't have a life. It's just dealership, dealership, dealership. I was probably there six, seven days a week. Right. For three years straight. And was that at one dealership or were you at a few? Uh, just at the one um, in the northeast, uh, the Toyota there. One of the yeah. bigger Toyota dealerships in Calgary. Right. Yeah. yeah. 
Cool. Um, man, I'd, I'd love to hear about your decision to go into addictions counseling and then taking it in school and getting a job in that. Like, yeah. That's, that's such a cool... I mean, um, the, the first... The first reason I did it was because my parents said go to college. <laughs> okay, yeah. You know, just they want they want they want you to have a good future and future. And as a kid, you're young and naive; you don't see that. But they said pick something, anything, but just please go to college. Yeah. Um, I, I I went on the website, um, and and it was right there, big bold letters, addictions counseling at Bow Valley College. Cool. And I did grow up with a lot of addicts. Um, I've seen it destroy lives, and I said, I, I, I want to help somehow. I mean, if I'm going to go to college, let's do it to help people. Sure. So, and that's, and the that's main a very real thing for you. Like, that's a big part of your and experience growing up. Yeah, absolutely. Like you hey, see people yeah. around you dealing with that, and you just want to help. Yeah. So, I mean, well, well, most of my friends were dealing the drugs. I wanted to help stop that addiction because, yeah. man, addiction is a real thing, and it's terrifying. Um, so, yeah, I did that. Um the course itself was really cool. It was uh, actually Aboriginal based the the methods. So no I would do things like sweat lodges, smudging. Cool. We used to go on the res and you know do the ceremonies there. Yeah. Um, and then we even had um, like a lounge at the actual school for it's a the indigenous center, which was awesome. Oh, cool. So I learned a lot about their culture and it's it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, it's just unfortunately that's what intergenerational trauma looks like, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, it was tough. It, it, it was a real eye-opener, and uh, once I graduated, I went straight into Hope Mission, which was a Christian agency in Forest Lawn. Okay, yeah. Um, so it was, it was mainly dealing with tr- troubled kids, um, but the addiction really stemmed from the parents. So we would basically be unpaid babysitters for the drug-addicted kids, or parents. Wow. So... Uh, I was hanging out with the kids, and, you know, our, our motto there was hope begins with a meal. So, you know, we would feed these kids off the streets and just spend time with them. Um, I didn't really do much of the actual counseling itself, but just to be able to be that little inspiration to that child that needed it was enough for me. Well, and that that kind of goes back to what you were saying about, like, sharing meals with people in the Northeast. Right? Yeah, like, exactly. Like you learn about other people through their food. Yeah. And right? that's a beautiful thing to me. Yeah. I mean, and I did that for three years and I was like 21, 22 at this time. Um, you burn out really quick. You're a kid yourself, right? Sure. I haven't had any real crazy things happen to me. So it's like, I don't know. I got tired of feeling like a bandaid. I wanted to do more. But knowing that I couldn't do more because, you know, you only have eight hours a day, yeah. I, I just had to get out of it. And that was probably the toughest thing was saying goodbye to my kids that last day. I still miss them dearly and I, I hope most of them are doing well. But that's just, that's the thing of being a product of your environment. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're great kids. They have good hearts. It's just that environment they're raised in. So I, I was, it was really cool to be able to help with that even if it was just a little bit for three years yeah do you think that you wanted to go into into addictions counseling maybe because you grew up in the northeast and that was part of your environment it could have been kind of felt like you were a product of your environment too. a little bit yeah Yeah. it's just seeing it like so dominantly like it was just very common right so yeah that was a big thing for sure oh
So I got one more question. This is a question that I, I like to ask everybody at the end of at the end of an interview. So maybe considering like everything we've talked about, you know, with your family and growing up in the Northeast, um, stigmas and stereotypes, maybe car sales and like all of that, right? Yeah. And especially with music, what is one thing that you wish people knew and understood about really anything that we've talked about? Yeah, that's a deep question. I like that. Um, for me, it's it doesn't matter where you come from. Like you know, if you have you have a gift or you know this specific calling, you can pursue it. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter like how poor, how rich you are. It's just that attitude of I can do this, any means possible. Yeah, yeah. Does that is that on the right topic I don't know I like that yeah that um, like the Northeast is just a label you know it really doesn't matter I know right. so many people that have made it out quote unquote of the Northeast but they still have that mentality you know we're always going to be those Northeast kids sure the, there's, I mean, there's still like that identity yeah I yeah. mean a big one is that Andrew Fung I don't know if you watch Kim's Convenience yeah he's one of the kimchi Right. Yeah. Yeah. He, he graduated from Bishop McNally. He's no uh, way. Yeah. He went to. He lived in Monterey Park in the Northeast, and he's Crazy. very proud to be that Northeast kid. So yeah. I mean, it's just if anything, we have that advantage because we've been through so many things, right? We've seen it all. So I mean, to take that and make it positive is a completely different story. Mm. But I mean, for the most part, though, unfortunately, based off what I've seen personally, it's been negative. Right. <laughs> But it, it doesn't matter where you're from. You can make it work. That's me with music. I just downloaded something and started doing it. <laughs> yeah. That's me with sales. I just got into it. I had no experience, right? So you learn, you learn, you learn your gifts through, I guess, just throwing yourself in there. Just don't be scared to throw yourself in there. That's all it is. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Well, Gabe, like, thanks for sitting down and chatting and hanging out for a bit here this oh, was super my fun pleasure, man this is uh, amazing i didn't expect it to go like so fun yeah. <laughs> i thought i was gonna be a bunch of scary questions <laughs> i was really preparing myself no but. man like that's that's the way we do it right thanks for There's, having me man yeah no appreciate it buddy gotcha cool hey everybody thanks again for listening this week thanks again to my friend gabe for this great conversation i really enjoyed it and i hope you all did too Gabe is also over on Instagram at gstillo. That's G-E-E-S-T-I-L-L-O. His account is also tagged in the Instagram post for this episode as well. So make sure to give him a follow and show him some love and support. If you'd like to support this project, head on over to patreon.com slash unexpected experts. This podcast is a one-man show right now, and I'm working on a few extra perks for people that sign up as patrons of the show. So if you want to support the content that you consume, consider becoming a patron and supporting me for as little as three bucks a month. Thanks so much for listening to this week, and we'll see you next time on the Unexpected Experts podcast.